If you really dedicate yourself and you put in the time and you're smart with it, uh, you can really do anything with it. It's one of those eye-opening experiences for me in terms of um, what technology can do, but also it really pushed me to think like, what is technology? The work that they're doing while they're in school, in school walls, start to bleed into you know the rest of the community. All students come to the world prepared to learn. Providing um, these beautiful learning environments where everyone's together, trying to help everyone be the best they can be. Authentic learning experience, collegial relationships that, that are ultimately going to yield a positive school culture where, where learning flourishes. There is no artist who paints without their whole life coming into that painting, right? Same okay. with every musician and every writer and every teacher for that matter. You are listening to the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. Here's your host, Josh Rapun. Hey, everybody, this is the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. My name is Josh Rapun. I'm your host. Today, we're with Susanna Johnson, who is the founder of Individualized Realized. <laughs> Susanna, welcome to our show. Thank you for inviting me. So we're go- we don't have much time when we have a lot of ground to cover. <laughs> so um, I'm going to have you just sort of take a few minutes to talk about your resume, your CV. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, okay, so I started in exercise physiology and business for a long time before I finally just got tired of chasing the dollars and chasing something that was not purposeful to me um, and ended up in teaching of every job I had as a manager. I loved helping my staff get better at whatever they were doing. So mm-hmm. I decided to try teaching. And at the time, Hawaii had a shortage for teachers. So there was the emergency hire. If you had a degree, John Sosa, who we all know and love, um, took a chance on me over at IA High School. And then within a year and a half, I was teaching full-time at Asset School. So how does your exercise physiology background and your business background, just in general, inform your work now as an educator and as a supporter of educators? That's a great question, but it was very easy early on to recognize that there was a lot about education that didn't make sense for what was going to happen after kids got out of school. Hmm. I was really frustrated by teachers who had gone from school into education training and then back into schools, and they didn't have any connection to what was needed out in the business world. What what did somebody need to have? What skill set did they need to have to be able to not only function but thrive in whatever their chosen profession was? And so it was easy to make that connection between my history in Mm non-education into effective education. So yeah, um, I had two careers uh, after leaving high school and wasting a couple years um, in college, drinking a lot and playing a lot of rugby. (laughs) Um, I was a chef and then I was a hotel manager and then I went back and got my undergrad and then went into teaching. So I, I hear you when you say that there's a lot of experience that you bring. You feel like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love that you bring up um, your cooking, your, your, your life mm-hmm. as a chef, because I think there's a lot of parallels between, you know, being a chef or learning how to cook and, and how authentic that learning is. When you want to learn right. how to make something to, you know, serve to your family and you want to do it well, right. you're going to do everything you can to figure out how to do that. And you're going to have several iterations of it. And it may not come out right the first time, but you learn and you grow and you have to problem solve and think critically and all the things that we're looking for in quality education right. when it comes to cooking. So, And plus you, you bust out of your silos because it's part biology, part chemistry, uh, part, you know, organization science, things like that. Part communication and hosting. Part communications, right, Mm -hmm. exactly. Okay, so we're going to dive in here. Um, My my first question to you is, what are the circumstances for truly deep learning? Hmm. 
That is the hardest question I've heard all day. I was ready to answer the book question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That'll come at the very end. We'll get that at the end. Circumstances for deep learning for me, I think, include um, two things. First and foremost, you have to cultivate an environment where students have ownership of their learning. And and it's not me giving it to them. It's just from the minute they walk in the door, we're in this together. This is your learning. This is not my learning. This is your learning. And so what do you need to be successful? What's going to feel good to you? What are you passionate about? Um, And the other thing I think that's really essential for um, deeper learning is um, making sure that we identify the outcomes, but from a place that is authentic, right? Where, what are we really trying to do here? Are we trying to, you know, check off some boxes and skills so that we can get it on a transcript? Or are we really trying to understand something and take it further? And so it's that authentic learning that we just were talking about too. So, mm-hmm. so if, I'm, if I'm a student and I'm talking to you, and we're going to do this a little bit more a little bit later on, okay. I, I want to grasp a little bit more this concept of owning my learning. Mm-hmm. Um, because the idea is kind of foreign to me. Like I, I feel like I'm going to go to school, I'm going to get a bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to account for it, and then, uh, and then I'm going to move on. What does it mean really to own my learning? Well, if I can, I'm going to just back it up in history yeah. for a minute and go back to when I was um, you know, a couple of years into teaching at Assets. And I realized that as I allowed for more student-based projects and their voice and choice and everything that they were doing, um, the smile started to come a little bit more frequently when they had mm-hmm. that those moments to do what they actually cared about or what they were passionate about. And the more I stepped back and, and let go of what my expectations were for learning, the more students told me what they needed to learn and also what they wanted to learn and how it was effective for them. And so it just, it it grew out of me listening to them and seeing their smiles and seeing them be excited to walk into the classroom instead of dreading it. And I work primarily with high school students and high school students hate school and I don't want students to hate school anymore. And so every time I saw a smile, every time I saw engagement, every time I saw excitement, I was like, okay, we need to do more of that until finally I got to the point where I was no longer the teacher. I was just a coworker in their learning. I was their partner in learning. So it sounds like a little bit of a, like a transitional moment. I'm mm-hmm. thinking like two va, two canoe mm-hmm. coming at each other. Mm-hmm. One of them is you with your expectations, and the other is me with my expectations. Right. And you're dialing yours down, and I'm dialing mine up. Mm-hmm. Does it feel like that? It definitely does. But it, it's also about what's the more important journey. I mean, I you know I've already been through school. I have a job. Right. I've, you know I've done things, and so it's what's the most important journey. And we're not not doing a good job right now. We need better thinkers in the world. We need stronger humans to you know live alongside with because things are not looking great. And so if we start to um, shift away from what we think we should be doing and start listening to what students need to be doing, it's going to be you know that's the authentic moment. That's the the purposeful journey. And so I'll turn my canoe to match up what you need to do as a student. And I set that up from the get go with students from day one. But Susanna, you're the expert. And I'm here to learn from the expert. Am right? I? Am I the expert? What <laughs> can I tell you? you were the expert. <laughs> yeah. What can I tell you that you can't Google? What can I teach you that you can't figure out? Mm-hmm. And for me, that comes down to some essential human skills like critical thinking. So I can teach you some of the strategies I've learned from critical thinking. I work with the Foundation for Critical Thinking and um, Richard Paul's, Dr. Richard Paul's work. And I think that it's really important to start to say, okay, I know how to do this. I can do critical thinking and I can teach you how to do that. I don't know how to 
build a website from the ground up. I don't know how to create a robot. I don't know how, you know, there are lots of things I don't know how to do, but I can help you figure out how to do that because we can learn anything we need to learn. Once you learn how to learn, everything opens up for you, right? So if you're my student and I'm trying to tell you how this is going to work, I'm going to start by saying, this is your journey. This is your learning. We will work together to figure out what is it that you need to get credit for? What are you passionate about? And then how do we work with your strengths and overcome some of your challenges and maybe rise up some of the skill sets in order to get to that place where this works? So let's dive into it. And let, let's say that I'm that student and I'm, I'm interested in getting some information out to people and I'm actually interested in building a website. Okay. And so your, question, your first question to me is, as the student, like, I don't know, maybe I have a question for you. You have a question for me. What's your question for me? I start with lists with students, and I start this with everybody that I talk to. Like, what are you passionate about, and what are you thinking about today? And that can change on a regular basis, and we can do mm-hmm. this again and again. But um, ask a student what they're excited about. So I had a student a few years ago who was really excited about photography, okay. and he was very good at it, very passionate about it. But he definitely, he's dyslexic, and so he hated English class all the way through, hated reading, hated writing, all of that. But he decided he wanted to put his photos out onto a website. Mm. So he started to build this website. He started to learn the technology, which was fairly easy for him because he's kind of tech savvy. And so he that didn't take him much time at all. And he just he knew how to solicit um, support from some of his peers who were faster at that stuff. And then he started taking pictures. But then when he put it up on his website, he, within a few weeks of doing this, came to me and said, my writing isn't good enough. I need to be a better writer. Can you help me get some resources or help me work on my writing so that it's better? That's authentic learning. That's driven out of a need for him to be a better writer. So the student who did not love writing, did not love English class, mm-hmm. was spending his extra time mm-hmm. learning how to write better. So my, my question was going to be about what is an empowered learner, but let's just pick up on that moment. Right. Mm-hmm. What, what, what happened to him that he came to this conclusion that he wasn't a good enough writer? Like, a, How did he even know the difference between his writing and good writing? That's a great question. Um, two, two things. He would read his own stuff and he would look at it in comparison to other photographers' uh, websites and he would see like, oh, like I, I really, you know, like I don't even pay attention to punctuation or capitalization and the simple things. That's some, not something that comes naturally to me. Right. And the other part of it was the peer feedback. And so that's that community, that share and support um, mindset. And that's another really big part of this deeper learning process where it's not about me telling him or putting red marks on a paper that was, is only going to demoralize him or make him feel bad about his writing. It's about him having his peers look at his work and saying, well, you maybe want to, you know, read this or they would read it out loud to him and say, does this sound like what you're trying to say? And he would get, he would say, oh, that's not what I want at all. I got to fix that. I'm flashing back on a moment um, in middle school, as a matter of fact, in the seventh grade, when I got a paper back from a teacher and all he had written at the top was, you have no style. And that I'm here it is 46 <laughs> years later and I'm still living with that oh, no. and I'm still upset with that guy right I'm um, actually ended up teaching with him later but yeah. anyway that's a, that's another story for a different day hey everybody this is the what school could be in Hawaii podcast we're going to take a short break and come back and talk more with Susanna Johnson about deeper learning and many other things we'll be right back Hi, I'm Tyler Kern from MarketScale. We're excited at the arrival of a new podcast series out of Hawaii titled, What School Could Be in Hawaii. MarketScale is thrilled to be partnering with Josh Rapoon on this project and can't wait to hear the insight and thought leadership he brings to EdTech. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can hear it and others over at marketscale.com. You click on industries at the top of the page and then scroll down to EdTech. Hope to see you there.
Hey, everybody, we're back. Susanna, I want to voice a concern. Um, and the concern is, and it actually came up out of my research into your biographical material that you sent me. Um, the concern is I'm, I'm un uneasy with the idea that we might be deliberately or inadvertently painting with broad brushes. Right. And that when we talk about learning over there is shallow learning and learning over here is deeper learning that we might be polarizing the education community by, by lumping people into these two broad categories. So can you talk a little bit about that? I, I can. I mean, I, I see what you're talking about, and I think that is a valid concern, and that's something we need to really be mindful of, especially as education revolutionaries. We've got to really not burn the whole house down, even though right. most of the time I want to. Right. Um, I think that it's important to meet people where they are, which is the beauty of individualized work in learning as well as what I'm trying to do now with Individualized Realize and helping other schools figure out how to build this in a way that, that suits them. And so it's individualizing the individualized process. I'll come to you. I'll meet you where you are. And we can have this conversation so that you can start to infuse whatever little nuggets fit best with your classroom, with your culture, with your style, mm -hmm. and small ways. And so that it's it's not a me versus you or it's a better versus worse. It's a where are you now and where do you want to be? Mm -hmm. And that just it, it maybe shifts the conversation from what's working and what's not working to how can we all be in a growth mindset? Like we've heard from so many of the other people on your podcast, like it's a growth mindset as teachers, as educators, administrators that are great. It's all about that mindset. And so just kind of changing that framework. So I, I hear you. So let's just say that, you know, I'm back in my Punahou teaching days back in the 90s. And I, I thought, you know, I was teaching APUS and European history, and I thought I was a darn good lecturer. You know, Mr. Rapoon, he could deliver a good lecture. And my students really appreciated that. So I feel sort of a little bit uneasy that you're characterizing the work that I'm doing as like not deeper learning. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out how we bridge this together. And I think you've answered that by saying we just have to start talking to each other, right? For sure that. But then the other thing I would say is that that's not necessarily not deep learning. What I'm, because I mean, we all turn on podcasts. We're here right now doing one. We're all listening to, right? <laughs> right? That's yeah. a great lecture. A good podcast is a great lecture. And, right. and you know, TED Talks got us moving back into that framework where we saw lectures that were meaningful and powerful. Right. Um, and you have an amazing style and a gift for knowledge and also a gift for conversation. And so I'm sure you were a great lecturer and that's, you know, that's not something that's not authentic mm -hmm. or deep learning. Right. What I think is important, though, is allowing students to come to that stuff in a way that is purposeful for them. Mm. I'm not going to make you sit through my lecture on Nietzsche, even though I'm a big fan and I have a lot to say about Nietzsche, if yeah. you don't care about Nietzsche, if you're not interested in that, or if you don't think that that is relevant to whatever it is that you're thinking about. Okay. If it is, we can get there. We can talk about it and we can I can lecture you know until the cows come home. But it's really about allowing students to come to the learning that is most meaningful for them. Project-based learning is great and it's a fantastic part of the education revolution it's really meaningful deep learning for the most part i haven't seen any examples where it's not especially right. here in hawaii where it's so connected um, but it's also if a student is not in that mindset if they want to be in the lecture mindset or the reading mindset or the writing mindset you know give them the opportunity to kind of come yeah. to the things when they need to and the way that they need to and certainly flexible time and space 
would allow for that. So I've already had sort of a light bulb moment here Great. as we begin to have this conversation. I'm like, hmm. So in the past, you had to be a student sitting in my class listening to my lecture. Right. But what if I broke out of that even briefly and said, you don't have to attend yeah. this. You're only going to attend it because it matters to you for yeah. some reason. Yeah. And already I'm starting to think, hmm, that's a little different. Yeah. That feels a little bit more on demand yes. because the demand is on their side. Yeah. Is that right? Does that feel? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, in, you know, the example that I have when I was at asset school in my classroom, um, the students, the individualized learners were doing all their own thing all the time. And I would say, okay, on Thursday, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to work on, you know, writing templates or outlining your work. Um, anybody who wants to work on that stuff, you know, we can do that together. And we would go do that in small groups or clusters. Right. Um, so there's that opportunity for that stuff when students want it and when they need it, it's making it available, but also having that, you know, dynamic time and space so that it can come when it it's important and when it's authentic. So I'm going to drop into this role play that I do from oh. time to time in these podcasts. So I'm, I'm not <laughs> little James. I'm, I'm, I'm not little James. I'm young James, right? So now I'm like a ninth or a 10th grader. Oh, yeah. And so I'm, I'm coming to you because I've had this conversation. Let's say that I'm at Assets, uh, which is a, a small, relatively small private school mm -hmm. here in Honolulu. Mm -hmm. um, I'm coming to you because I've had this conversation with the school counselors and the, the people who guide me through the academic pathway. Mm -hmm. And I get it. I'm going to take chemistry. I'm going to take biology. I'm going to take math. I'm going to take music, right. whatever. But they told me about you and about what you do. And I was like, wow, that's really nutty. I better go talk to her first to figure out what I'm getting myself into because it doesn't sound like a traditional right. siloed um, subject driven class. Right. So Ms. Johnson, mm -hmm. my name is James. What what exactly happens if I come into your quote unquote class? Well, we'd have to start with thinking about what you were coming in for credit for or how you were trying to make it work in the way in the model that you're talking about at assets, right? So if you're going to be coming in for um, social studies credit, we'd have to think about where, what that's about and what your history was with that in, in that subject area and wh where you're at now. And then I would go straight again to the passions question of like, what do you actually care about? What are you passionate about? What do you, what gets you fired up in the day? Um, and so then we would have this conversation. And so I, you know, if... I'm if, getting more and more fired up about music. Okay. Yeah. I okay. imagine so. Yeah. You've got so, some inspiration in your history this you know, morning. So. so where do we go with this now okay. together? So like, your passion for music and, um, and what you're trying to do, and you're going to be here for which credit? Um, a social studies credit. Okay. Yeah. All right. So then we've got to start to think about what does that mean? And so it's really as simple as um, starting with the question of like, what helps you with learning? What, do, what how do you learn best? How do I learn best? Oh, boy, talk about a hard question. Mm. I learn best when what I'm working on is relevant okay. in some way. If it's irrelevant, I can't focus on it. I just can't. So algebra, if it's not relevant to me, I don't, I don't see where... That's my answer to that question. Okay. Um, all right. So we're, we're trying to get social studies credit. So we're looking at things that are related to research and critical thinking and problem solving. I love research. Okay, great. Fantastic. I love music. Yeah. So maybe I would um, suggest that we start with getting you um, moving in the direction of researching what's happening in the world of music today. What's happened in history that is informing today? Where are your peak interests coming out? Where do you get excited? Where are your sparks? And then we, we can start to weave together something out of that. Okay, I'm getting fired up. So okay. previous podcast guest that I talked to, I got fired up because I started thinking about, prompted by him, about conversations that happen between musicians. Mm -hmm. What an idea. Mm -hmm. What do they talk about when they talk to each other? It's not about their kids or whatever or their, their lives. They're talking about their music. I would love to pursue that. 
I think sometimes it is about their kids. Let's be clear. Okay, we right. don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that, it's you know, true. it's because right. everything informs. When, you, when you have a, a creative pursuit, everything informs that, right? There is okay. no artist who paints without their whole life coming into that painting, right? Same okay. with every musician and every writer and every teacher, for that matter. Right. This is our creative passion, and so every part of our life informs that. Um, so I would maybe suggest um, starting to look at some conversations that have already happened. There are certainly plenty of podcasts to look at. I would start with Questlove if I was you, because he's awesome and he's a great philosopher and a good thinker and um, okay. also does these great stories and weaves together a couple of things I know you like, not just music, yeah. but also food. And so, you yeah. know, listen to him a little bit and see what he's got to say about um, some of these connections. And then from there, maybe you could research some of the artists that he's talked to and, and build from there, right? But I heard then, about another podcast called Song Exploder, where, ooh, where each artist breaks out a song. See? Okay, wow, I'm getting excited Now you're here. already building your, your set of resources. So I gave you one, yeah. you had your own, where you're going to build a set of that. We're going to okay. start to put this together into a project. Okay, so two questions because time is limited. So I, James, I want to know, like, what am I going to be doing with you this semester? What am I going to be doing? Can you give me a sense? Yeah, when you walk into the classroom, you know, the, when it's your learning, and it's maybe not even walking into the classroom, and this is a thing that we haven't gotten to yet, but I had students who would be better suited to work outside of the classroom, right? So I had students who would leave after their core classes and go to the beach to do research. I had students who would um, come in late from, you know, the day and then and do their core classes in the afternoon because they would spend their morning um, working in their own studio at home. And okay. so I think that, um, you know, we'll get to that question later, but envisioning a world where students are truly liberated in their learning, sometimes they need to be out in the world doing that and not in right. my classroom in order to do that. And that's some time and trust and space. But I mean, this is, there are a lot of examples of this happening already around the world. And so we've got to, you know, especially here in Hawaii, we've got so many projects, so much work that is happening out on the aina, out in the, in the communities. And so let's allow for more of that, right? Got and it. so in in terms of coming into my classroom and what you're going to be doing, that kind of depends on what you decide you want to do. Right. So we're going to look at what are the outcomes, and you're going to define those. You're going to tell me not only what kind of a product would be a great way for you, a good aim for you at the end, what would be a good outcome for your work, but also... Um, what would an A look like if you did this to the uh. best of your ability? And that's from <laughs> Benjamin Zander. I don't know if you've the art of possibility. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What would an A look like? Um, and so you're going to tell me what that's going to look like. Okay. What you got there? So, <laughs> so hey, everybody. <laughs> this is the What's Going to Be in Hawaii podcast. Um, we'll be back after a short break. We're going to talk to Susanna a little bit more about that $64,000 question about grades. We'll be right back. Within a generation of 25 years, Kamehameha Schools sees a thriving Lahui where our learners achieve post-secondary and educational success. To this end, Kamehameha Schools is proud to share Halau Inana Makapa'akea, an innovation and collaboration space where Native Hawaiian learners converge as a new generation of OEV leaders, innovators, indigipreneurs, and entrepreneurs. The Halau will host and curate various programs, events, and activities that foster OEV leadership development, creative thinking, and problem-solving, innovation, prototyping, and incubation. Hey everybody, we're back. Okay, so Susanna, I'm James and I get it. I get where we're going with this okay. and I also get very clearly that I don't get everything yet. That yeah. this is an unfolding journey. Yeah. This is something Yay. where there's going to be a lot right. of contingencies mm -hmm. along the way. But still, my mother and my father are asking, how am I going to be graded for this? Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, you're going to, to the direct assessment question. Yes, nice. I am. Yeah. <laughs> it is the $64,000 question. And yeah. if we could, you know, really nail this down, we could really shift the conversation. Um, I'll start with the fact that it's easy if you start to identify what are the 
the key things that you need to do. For some schools, there are essential skills. For some schools, it's a specific content. For some schools, it's a mastery transcript process. Um, the digital portfolios, whatever. What is the outcome? How are we going to get there? What is the, you know... What do we need to do to jump through the hoops for the school or for the credit or whatever? There's a little bit of that that comes into play, but that's, you know, depending on the school, it's, it's easy to figure that out. That's already defined. Okay. What are the essential skills so that you can get credit for social studies so that we can do this? And we start to look at what are the lists here and then what are you going to focus on? And so then we write that into what you're working on, your plan, your project thinking work, whatever it is, your learning plan. So you're, you're saying that you're not the one who's going to be deciding whether I'm patient or collaborative or I can think critically <laughs> and all that, That right? Or, right. or are we doing this together? Yes or? and yes. yes the answer is yes. yes and yes. Okay. Um, so uh, along the way, there's going to be a ton of formative assessment work, which is um, not just you looking at what's happening and reflecting. I do, uh, I think it's really important to do reflective practices on a regular basis, but also some peer critiques and share and support processes where it's, you know, the room telling you what's working and not working and you can decide of that what you're going to take forward. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you some feedback too, but only in a way that is, again, formative most of the way through. Um, for the grade purposes, because we we're still doing that when I was teaching in, in this format, it's, you know, depends on how this, the school structure is. But in my case, it was, you know, I'll, I'll weight it equally, your evaluation of yourself and my evaluation of your work in the process at the wow. end. So I'm stepping out of my role as James here for a second and recognizing <laughs> that there isn't this traditional bell curve. Mm -mm. That there's a possibility everybody that could get an A. Everybody could yeah. get an A, and I want everybody to get. But an But even a. that doesn't—it doesn't sound comfortable even to say that. It's just everybody <laughs> will be evaluated in the way that is agreed upon together, with with the instructor, with the guide, with yeah. the sponsor, with the coach. Right. right. Well, and, but it's going to be in an individual way. It's your grade is going to look different than somebody else's grade, you know, or your mm -hmm. process, your set of criteria, because I'm going to meet you where you are, just like I do with the schools. You meet each student where they are as an educator, and then you move from there. Because the goal is for them to progress and to learn. And if we expect everybody to be at the exact same point in the exact same you know place with all the different skill sets, that's what we've gotten, the trap that we've gotten into with the industrialized model. It doesn't, we can't have everybody at the same place at the same time. Right. Okay. So again, because time is going so fast here and this is already, we're almost near the end here. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. It's gone by really quickly. Yeah. Um, so I just want to step for a second uh, out of that conversation, but stay connected because this is something I really wanted to talk to you about. So because I've, I had a crazy experience as a kid. Um, being alone in the Sistine Chapel mm. for about half an hour before any of the hordes arrived. Wow. And I won't tell anybody how, that trick of how I got there <laughs> um, because then everybody will try to do the same trick. Um, but needless to say, I, I, I laid on the floor of the chapel and looked up at the ceiling and, it, and I'll never forget that moment as long as I live. So the question I'm asking is, say I was taken in as an apprentice in Michelangelo's workshop. How deep uh, or how, how does that work in terms of grading and assessing in terms of deeper learning, in terms of empowerment, like what happens when I come into his workshop and begin the process? Well, I mean, I hope that Michelangelo agrees with me that you aren't going to be expected to be him immediately, right? right. Or at any certain point. Or ever, maybe. Or right. maybe ever, right. right. And so um, I, I would hope that in that process, we would start to look at what are your goals for learning? Why are you in the shop? What do you? What brought you there to, to you know, be an apprentice in this process? What's your inspiration? And then why? how do we form your learning plans and what you're going to do? Um, how do we shape that model so that it can be effective for you and meaningful for you, purposeful, 
right? Okay. Okay. So, okay. So then jumping back into individualized, realized, it's Mm -hmm. becoming clear to me through the course of this conversation that if teachers are going to make that journey Mm -hmm. towards personalized, towards differentiated, towards empowerment, deeper learning, student ownership, student voice, student agency, that they're going to need some coaching, some sponsoring, some mentoring. And that's what you're trying to provide. That's what I'm trying to provide. Um, And I'm in in a, a global scale not just here in Hawaii. Um, I've got some partners now in Argentina. And it's, I think, really important to recognize that everywhere teachers are trying to think about, you know, ways to make this more authentic, but they've got to have an entry point, right? right? And so, yes, that's what I'm trying to do is to help every teacher feel empowered to figure this out in a way that works for them, right. um, to infuse their work with whatever component of this is essential or, or meaningful. But I would also offer the argument that this works for all of education. K all the way through, you know, PhD programs. This works for businesses and leadership. This works for humaning. How do you decide what is important to you? How do you structure it so that you can continue to grow and learn? How can you be right. a better husband or wife or partner or manager or teammates or, you know, part of a band? How can you do any of those things better? And let's like boil it down and structure it so that you can realize your own potential. Right. So as we, as we come down to the end, I just want to do a little bit of a, I don't know, sort of a a simulation, but I want to provide a little bit of context first. Um, So I just want to say to our listeners that um, we're definitely committed to public, private, and charter conversations um, because we're all teaching the same kids. Yep. Here, when we're talking about our, our Department of Education, we're talking about um, roughly 180,000 students. There's roughly 285 public schools, um, including 37 charter schools, which have about 12,000 uh, charter school students. There's roughly about 14,000 teachers, public school teachers in Hawaii, and that our public schools are developing three major themes, um, student voice, teacher collaboration, and school design. So what I want to talk about is is this school, let's call it a school. I know it's a business for you, but let's call it the individualized, realized school. Yeah, I'm into and it. And for just the, the last few minutes that we have together, you're also answering the question, what school could be right. to you, Susanna? So walk us through the front door and then take us on a little tour of this school called Individualized Realized. It's cute because you started with a front door and that would be my first thing. There would be there no, is front, no door. front door. Okay. <laughs> Whatever door. Are we arriving by parachute? Are we coming in through the ceiling? Whatever floats your boat. Um, okay. All right. I, I think that um, if we come back around to time and space being flexible and malleable, it's we've really got to um, let go of it being in the classroom, right? And Pacific Blue Studios is trying to do this. Like, what does school look like when it's no longer in school? Wow. Okay. I'm stopped in my tracks because (laughs) just a few seconds ago, my mind had decided that I was going to be crawling up the side of the building and in through a window. Yeah. But now you're telling me I can't, I can, but I don't know what window I'm crawling in because it sounds like the school isn't there. It could be anywhere. No, it could. And I think that there's, this is what part of the conversation (laughs) that's so great. This is why we love Hawaii so much because we're in this and I recognize the need for all the different opportunities and all the different spaces. I want to be in the music classroom that we were just talking about in your podcast. I want to be in in Kupuho Academy and and MPX program over at Midpac. I want to be in a lot of the programs that are happening here in Hawaii. You're saying I could? And I think you should. 
Yes. Wow. I think that there should be a place and there should be an opportunity for students of all of these different organizations and all of these different types of schools and, and educational environments to come together in cohorts that work in a meaningful way, right? So I envision a world where my student, um, who this past year was working on a project for beach cleanup, uh, not beach cleanup, actually, she was looking at usage and the amount of trash and the type right. of trash for all the different beaches of Oahu. And as I sent her on a goose hunt for finding some good experts in this process, all of my friends, and I have several that work in the oceanography business, um, both public, private, and university levels, I, I, she was unable to find anybody who had a study like that. Wow. So now already we're starting with something that is really powerful and purposeful. She's like, wait, nobody's done this before? It's okay. original. It's, right. it's like a PhD dissertation. Right, right, right. You yeah. found an original topic. Yeah. Okay. And, and she was going to the beach to do her work, and she was getting this data and doing all this stuff, and then she was wow. going home and working on it. And so she would leave the classroom or leave school at, like, you know, middle of the day and go to the beach and do this. And everybody's like, oh, you're going to the beach. That's so great. She was working really hard. And then I would get notes from her or texts in, in, when she was finished for the night, sometimes 7 or 8 o'clock at night. That's not me telling her to do homework. That's her doing her work and being excited and passionate about it. Right. So skip ahead to what I envision. And so then I've got maybe some cohorts down in Brazil who are working on some of the problems with the beaches there. And they're looking at it. They're like, oh, okay. So, um, you know, this student in Hawaii had this study who she showed that, you know, tourists really didn't account for as much of the trash as we thought that they did. And the, the beaches that were heavily used by tourists were actually a little bit cleaner because people were mm. mindful of it and they were paying attention. And the types of trash that we saw, there were little bits of this and that, but they weren't you know, really the things that are causing damage to the reefs and damage to our ecosystems, right? It wasn't right. the plastics that are staying everywhere and that kind of stuff, right. um, which is what she found in her study. And it's great. Um, but have her, you know, coaching or working with the student in Brazil to set up the same study or to look at it and say, okay. And then maybe you get some students who are interested in some of the, you know, geography related stuff of ocean currents and what's happening in these, you know, connected places. And so Brazil and, and Hawaii are not connected by the same yeah. ocean. And yet. And yet. Right. Right. So, yeah. right. And so then all of a sudden okay. it gets bigger. So to me, the, the school that I envision is a place where the critical thinking skills are at the core and forefront of who we are. And we are coming together for the UN 17, you know, global problems, global issues, right. and, and trying to really consider the world in a way that is authentic and meaningful so that we can be better humans mm -hmm. collectively, right? but in a way that comes from each of us individually in our own passions. Right. So the overwhelming feeling that I have in this moment is one of complete exhilaration because I'm, I'm Good. experiencing an imagination that actually has that possibility and reality. Mm. Uh, on the other hand, I'm feeling sort of a, a deep sense of regret because <laughs> no, no, no I, I, I feel it because I can't go back through the time wormhole and do school again. Yeah. But if I were able to do that, that's the way I would have wanted to do school right. 45 years ago. Yeah. Um, it's not too late. It's not too late. And so in a sense, you you're going to go to music school soon, right? We're going right, to set exactly. that up. It's I'm going to go fine. to music school. Yeah. It, but you see what I'm saying, yeah, right? I'm, can I, I'm, can I just yeah. really quickly jump back to earlier? You were talking about how parents receive it and you know, like, mm, what do you mean? Yeah. Is my kid going to get credit for this? Is this a real class? What's happening? Right. Every single time I sat down with parents, if the students had already been doing it for even a week, the first thing they said was, I wish I had done this when I was in school. Wow. And that, to me, means we're on the right track. We're moving in the right direction. I got happy students. Yeah. I got parents that wish they, they could do the same thing and are happy that their kids are happy. Let's start there. Let's start yeah. with everybody actually being excited about learning and not hating going to school. Yeah. 
Susanna Johnson of Individualized Realized. It's been an honor having you on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Josh. Coming up on the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast, we have an amazing trio, director of Kupu Ho Academy at Mid-Pacific Institute, Mark Hines, Mid-Pacific Vice President of Academic Affairs, Lee Fitzgerald, and last but not least, PBL Works Director of District and School Leadership, Dr. Lisa Morellas. Find the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher, as well as at mltsinhawaii.com. Join the ongoing conversation across social media. Look for most likely to succeed in Hawaii on Facebook, at MLTS in Hawaii on Instagram, and at MLTS in Hawaii on Twitter. Tag your posts with hashtag what school could be, hashtag deeper learning, hashtag edchat, and hashtag education. We want to hear from you. Send your comments, questions, and feedback to mltsinhawaii at gmail.com or direct message us on Twitter at mltsinhawaii. Our next interviews will be recorded on Saturday, October 26th, starting at 9 a.m. Hawaii time. You can join us in the studio through the magic of Facebook Live. Find us at the Most Likely to Succeed in Hawaii Facebook page. Video of each interview will also be available on demand on YouTube. Look for what school could be in Hawaii playlist on our Most Likely to Succeed in Hawaii channel. If you love this podcast series, we would really appreciate a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to help us reach a wider audience of innovative educators. And please feel free to share this series with colleagues, friends, and family. Your host is Josh Rapoon. Our technical producer and podcast consultant is Ryan Ozawa. Post-production is by Hawk Media Productions, the digital media program at Kealakehe Intermediate School. The editor for this episode was Marlone Utrera, under management from student director May Kanata, all under the guidance of media director Matthew Williams. Special thanks to photo and video contributor for our October episodes, Matthew Tong, a media and English teacher at Stevenson's Intermediate School. And a huge shout out to Ted Dintersmith, author of the book, What School Could Be, an education change agent. Now, off to your next education adventure. Class dismissed.